Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And we will begin the final chapter in this letter. And at first glance, it seems as though Paul uses this chapter to, uh, as, as a means to address in uh, short several things which he either forgot to address earlier or he did not feel the need to address earlier. It can seem somewhat disjointed when compared with the rest of the letter, but when you realize Paul is actually uh, spending this chapter in, in pointed application of the truths that he has just written to them, then it seems a lot more natural and more part of the whole, less disjointed. So turn your attention now to this truth applied from Philippians chapter 4. And I'll be reading the first three verses. This is the very Word of God, so please lend it your ear. Therefore, my, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Iodias and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let us ask his blessing on it. Holy God, we come to you once again. And we have just received this word that you have given to us in your kindness and your graciousness. This word that you condescended uh, in order to communicate to us. So Lord, we receive it with gladness and we receive it with joy. Lord, we ask now that your blessing would be upon the preaching of this word. That the preaching would go forth and it would stir in our hearts uh, action. It would stir in our hearts conviction. It would stir in our hearts a desire for you. So Lord, we ask your blessing would be upon us now as we receive this word. Let your blessing be upon the preacher as he proclaims this word. And Lord, let us receive it for what it is, the very word of God. So we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. 
If you are familiar with the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, you'll know that strife and conflict uh, does not come as a surprise to him. His entire life after his conversion seems to be one in which strife and conflict played a major part. Think of the conflict that he had with the Jews who openly sought to put an end to his ministry, even seeking to kill him. Or think of the conflict that he had with the Greeks and how he was put on trial at Mars Hill for the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And then there was his personal conflict with the Roman officials who sought to bind him and imprison him and ultimately kill him in order to stop him from continuing to spread the Gospel. This conflict with the Roman officials led him all the way to having conflict with the highest official, Caesar himself, where he made his case. Or consider the conflict that we just looked at in chapter 3. His conflict with the false teachers who were seeking to destroy Christ's church, to steal away Christ's lambs with their false doctrine. Paul was no stranger to conflict. And if we're being honest with ourselves, neither are we. We've all experienced different types of conflict, whether it be in the workplace or at school or out in the street during evangelism or even within our own homes. But perhaps the most disheartening, the most painful and damaging conflicts are those which occur within the church body. And specifically, those which occur within a local congregation. And this disheartening and and pain aspect of conflict is then multiplied when it takes place between fellow brothers and sisters who once enjoyed great fellowship with one another. This conflict often turns into schism within the body and perhaps not a physical schism, but often a spiritual one. John Owen defines schism as a cause as causeless differences and Contentions that are contrary to or interrupt the exercise of love within the church. This is what conflict among the brethren oftentimes leads to. And we looked at this back in October when we considered uh, the the beginning portion of chapter 2 in this letter. And then here... Paul once again returns to this theme. And he does so by focusing on a particular conflict within the church at Philippi. We would do well to listen to this example and to learn by it. 
lest we too be plagued by conflict and schism. And so the exhortation to you this morning is really quite simple. Be like-minded as brethren in the Lord. And we'll consider this under three heads. First, the foundation of like-mindedness. Next, the plea for like-mindedness. And then finally, help in like-mindedness. So first, let us consider the foundation of like-mindedness. Look with me once again at verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. And you may be thinking to yourself, this is more of like an initial address uh, or, or an encouragement to these believers than it is a foundation for like-mindedness. And yes, it is an initial address. Yes, it is an encouragement. However, it's important to realize that Paul is rooting what he is about to say in something that is true of them. He calls them his brethren, his brothers, his family. There's a bond between fellow uh, believers that ought to be just as strong, if not stronger, than that bond between us and our relatives. We are brethren. And then he calls them dearly beloved. He actually calls them dearly beloved twice in this verse. What he's about to say concerning conflict in the church is based upon the fact that these saints are loved. And not just by the Lord, but by Paul himself as well. How often do we forget the need for love among the brethren and how a lack of love is so often the root of conflict between fellow believers. This love that Paul had for these saints is highlighted in the fact that he, that he refers to them as his joy and crown. Calvin writes, he calls them his joy and crown because delighted to see those who had been gained over through his instrumentality uh, persevering in the faith, he hoped to attain that triumph of which he have, we have spoken when the Lord will reward with a crown those things which have done, uh, which have been accomplished under his guidance. And then Matthew Henry adds, he loved them and gloried in them. They were his crown as well as his joy. Never was proud, ambitious man more pleased with the ensigns of honor than Paul was with the evidences of sincerity of their faith and obedience. He loved them, and he loved them dearly. 
but even all these things that he says of the believers in Philippi are rooted in something as well. He tells them to stand fast in the Lord. And the command that is given here is to stand fast, to to hold your ground, to be unwavering, unmoving. But the primary thing that should be noted here is the phrase which is the foundation of it all. In the Lord. It's because you are Christ. Because you have been redeemed by the blood of the eternal covenant. Because you uh, have been united with Him. Because He has replaced your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. You've been united with Him as a result of uh, being united with Him. You are now united with others as well. And it is because of that, everything else flows from it. That foundational truth is the fountain from which it all flows. And so it is flowing from that essential truth that like-mindedness comes. This is the foundation of like-mindedness. Conflict between two brothers cannot be resolved outside of Christ. Any attempts to do so will prove to be disastrous. It is the bond of all unity and the only hope of resolution when strife or conflict comes about. And then Paul goes on to use this phrase again in the next verse when he addresses the specific uh, conflict in Philippi. And so that ought to be what we look to as our foundation for unity in the body as well. And so friends, I ask you, what is your foundation? Are you seeking to resolve issues in your own accord, even in your own strength? Are you hoping that the passing of time will just cause the conflict to simply float away as a piece of ash carried about by the wind? Brothers and sisters, remember who you are. Remember that if you have confessed your sins before the Lord, if you have repented of your wicked ways and committed yourselves unto righteousness, if the crimson stain of your sin has been washed white as snow by the blood of the Lamb, then you have been united to Christ and that union is a vital union which is unshakable. And if that is true of you, then you've also been united to your fellow believers in a bond which cannot be broken. You are the brethren. You are the dearly beloved. You are my joy and crown. You are in the Lord. That must be the foundation for everything you do 
if you are to have any surety of success. And that includes how you resolve conflict. Like-mindedness can only come from having the same foundation, and that foundation is found in the Lord. This foundation of like-mindedness must be understood before you can ever begin to work towards conflict resolution. This is why Paul lays it out at the very beginning before he moves on to addressing his specific issue. And so with that foundation laid, let us move on to consider the plea for like-mindedness. Look with me at verse 2. I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. The details are tactfully not discussed by Paul. But the situation was obviously serious enough for him to address these women by name. And the division... Uh, obviously sufficiently long-standing for the news of it to have reached Paul's ears. Paul sees the need to address this issue, but he also sees a great opportunity to instruct others in how to handle conflict when it arises in the future. Sometimes the best means of instruction is to look at a particular practical example. Paul calls on them by name partly because they needed private exhortation and partly also to stir up others to be more prompt and ready. Matthew Henry comments, Yodius and Syntyche, it seems, were at variance either one with the other or with the church. Either upon a civil account, it may be that they were engaged in a lawsuit, or upon a religious account, it may be that they were at different opinions and sentiments. Whatever their conflict was, it was obviously rising to the point of being public and being a danger to the peace of the church. What once lightly became, uh, began as a small spark of disagreement has begun to grow into a flame of discord which threatens to destroy this local body. It's important to note, though, that Paul is not dealing with two women who are promoting a false gospel. He's not dealing with heretics in the church as he did in the previous chapter. Instead, we see clearly from uh, verse 3, that these women are, are described as fellow believers. Women which labored with me in the gospel. These are obviously spiritually mature women who've exhibited great faithfulness in aiding the ministry of the Apostle Paul in seeing the gospel advance. These women were both saved by the same gospel of free grace. 
And they both were laboring faithfully, faithfully to see that gospel spread and to see the church grow. And so, knowing that, knowing that these are believers, it would be inconsistent for either of them to insist in their own way. Because they both belong to a Savior who had not insisted upon His way. And neither did He seek to please Himself. Their Lord made Himself nothing. He did not grasp at His rights. He took on the role of a servant. In the Lord, they were called to follow His example in their relationships with each other. And so Paul seeks to correct these women by exhorting them to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now this doesn't mean that they are to be in perfect agreement with everything that is done. But instead, it means that they should be willing to give up their personal preferences for the sake of the peace of the church. These were two squabbling sisters, as David Whitla puts it. And they had a disagreement over something that was non-essential. They had a difference of opinion. And so Paul's, Paul calls them to remember what is an essential. That they are in the Lord. And that they must act accordingly. They are to seek to put aside their petty differences and work together in unity and harmony for the sake of the gospel. Friends, how many times do we experience something like this as well? So often I hear of petty disputes which arise to the level of threatening the peace of the church. And none of us are immune to this either. Praise God that at this moment we are not experiencing something like this. But that doesn't mean that we won't in the future. It's helpful to remember the wise words of Jeremiah Burroughs who says, not every difference in religion is a difference of religion. Personal differences can be had on minor things, but they become problems when they arise to the level of no longer being personal differences, but instead personal conflicts. So how will you respond when conflict arises? How will you respond to conflict when it arises not only here in the church, but in other areas of your life outside of the church? Do you insist that your way is the right way, irrespective of what the Lord's way is? Sadly, that is often the case. If, as we have seen, that the secret of unity is humility, it's then true 
that the chief cause of division is pride. How we effectively handle these differences may say more about the biblical character of our church than how we handle false teaching and heresy. If we are strong against false teachers, but allow a spark of disunity to grow into a raging inferno of division, then we have failed as a congregation. Do you have conflict with a brother or sister who is here today? How long have you been tending the embers of some light offense, real or imagined, large or small, that some brother or sister has given you? How long have you been fanning the flames of frustration and anger? Paul says it's time to let those flames die out. You need to practice unity. You need to be like-minded. Extinguish the last embers of your bitterness and forgive one another and learn to be of the same mind in the Lord. But friends, we're not just a group of individuals. We are a body. What occurs between two of your brothers or sisters has direct impact upon you as well. So there's a duty for those who are not the ones in the midst of the conflict. And that duty is to help in like-mindedness. Look with me at verse 3. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help these women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Here Paul is speaking to someone individually. We see that with the second person singular pronoun thee. Uh, I entreat thee. But we don't know who it is. Paul refers to him as his true yoke fellow. And he calls upon him, he's speaking to him, to aid in resolving this conflict. He doesn't simply tell Yodius and Syntyche to work this out on their own. To get their act together. He doesn't just simply say that. But instead, he gives them support in it. If conflict is left unchecked or if those who are in conflict are left on their own, then pretty soon two quarreling members turns into two quarreling families, which turns into two quarreling factions within the church. And pretty soon the congregation is in shambles and it has to close its doors all because of a petty disagreement. The entire congregation has a stake in the outcome of conflict. And because of that, the entire congregation has an interest in aiding in the resolution of that conflict. 
all men should contribute their help to the resolving of differences and bring their buckets, as it were, to quench that unnatural fire when it's once kindled. See once again what the foundation is for providing aid in conflict resolution. It's because these are fellow believers. Those who we are united to in Christ. Those who the Holy Spirit has knit together with us. Those whose names are in the book of life. There is a book of life. There are names in that book and not characters only. We can't search that book to know whose names are written there, but we may in judgment of charity conclude that those who labor in the gospel and are faithful in the interest of Christ and of souls, we can be confident that they have their names in that book of life. Yodius and Syntyche, these women, by all evidences, had their names written in the book of life. And it is that reason that fellow believers are called upon to aid in resolving their conflict. But we don't want to get messy, do we? We don't want to get involved in other people's lives because it'll be hard. We don't want to render aid to those who are in the midst of conflict because we don't want to be seen as meddling in other people's affairs. After all, Paul does warn against busybodies and meddlers, doesn't he? But that's not what this is. Paul is not contradicting himself by calling us to action uh, within the church to come alongside and aid in conflict resolution. It's not meddling in other people's affairs if you're coming to aid. And so the way in which you do it matters. How we come to the aid and come to aid in, in resolving conflict is essential. And that will be what determines whether or not we are aiding, whether we're assisting, or whether we're meddling. The aid rendered must be done in the Lord. It must be done with His uh, glory being your primary aim. It must be done lovingly, tenderly, caring for your brothers and sisters so that they know that it's not coming from a spirit of anger or frustration, but out of care and concern. And it must be done swiftly. Conflict cannot be allowed to simmer and grow, but it must be dealt with in a swift 
matter. So this is your duty, brothers and sisters. If you see conflict arising in the body, this is your duty. You cannot just sit back and act as though it's not your problem. If you feel as though you're ill-equipped to be able to assist in conflict resolution, then reach out to your elders. And the same goes for you if you are in the midst of conflict and you're unable to resolve it quickly just between the two of you. We are here to shepherd you through these things. And you should recognize that this is the calling that the Lord has placed upon us. We are here to care for your spiritual well-being. And conflict threatens spiritual well-being just as greatly as anything else. So let me ask you, Will you be a conflict creator? A conflict enabler? Or a conflict resolver? Our Lord Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. One of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. If you are in Christ, then then the call upon your life and following the example of the Lord is to be a peacemaker. If you see conflict between two of your brothers or sisters, do not remain idle. Seek to help in like-mindedness. Brothers and sisters, this unity, this This like-mindedness must be strived for. Remember that how you conduct yourselves in the church, the the unity or the lack thereof, which is found among you, will directly affect how the world views you. How can non-Christians be convinced that Christ reconciles us to God when we cannot be reconciled to one another? And I've told you this before. I told you this back in chapter 2. Disunity always has the effect of turning a Christian fellowship in on itself and wasting energy. Energy that could be spent on sharing the Gospel. When we devour ourselves in that way, we have very little energy left to be that shining light and that persevering salt in this lost and dying world. Friends, do not let a spark become a raging fire. Do not let petty differences become something which tears apart the body of Christ. Remember who you are in Him and live according to that truth. Go forth and be like-minded as brethren in the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to You and we do
pray. We pray that you would cause us to be like-minded in the Lord. We pray that you would cause any division that may be coming about to be stripped away before even the spark takes place. Lord, we ask that any divisions that may be within this congregation or any disputes or divisions that may be between someone in this congregation and someone in another, that they would be reconciled. Lord, we know that it is a month away before we come to the Lord's table. But we're told that if you have something against your brother, leave your sacrifice at the altar and go and be reconciled unto him. And so over this next month, that there is anyone who has a problem with someone else, over this next month, Lord, let them be reconciled on one to another before they come and sit at the table, before they come and eat of the sacramental meal, lest they eat and drink damnation upon themselves. Lord, we ask that this truth would not be Uh, applied solely to us, but that it would be applied to the greater church as well, to our presbytery, to our denomination. We understand that Satan loves division and he would love nothing more than to see the church torn asunder. Lord, let it never be so. Preserve us from disunity. Preserve us from the evil one. And let us grow stronger in that bond of unity, in that bond of peace. Let us be peacemakers for the sake of Christ's kingdom. And let us be like-minded in the Lord. So we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.